Hi, everyone. Welcome to the ImpactVest podcast, transformative global innovation in a new era of impact. I'm Aisha Williams, the founder and CEO of ImpactVest. And along with our guest host, we aim to inspire and motivate towards collective positive global impact to solve our world's most pressing challenges in sustainability. With each episode, we will engage in insightful conversations with global change makers, visionaries, and sustainability activists who wish to build a more sustainable and resilient future. Join us now as we create the future of impact. Hi, everyone. So I'm your podcast episode host today, and I'm Aisha Williams, the CEO and founder of ImpactVest. I'm really pleased to be here. My first episode with Jose Samogudo, who's my fellow HEC Paris colleague. He's had tremendous success with his company, Tech, and I'm really inspired by what he is launching with Kula as well. So Jose, welcome. I'm so pleased to welcome you to the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you for the invite. I'm Jose, as Aisha mentioned, founder and CEO of Tech. Uh, product development company uh, for emerging markets, and also co-founder and CEO of Kula, a digital lending marketplace that provides inventory finance to the communities in emerging markets. Thank you, Jose. And when we were speaking before, you were telling me about your own background and the inspiration behind Kula. I thought it was so important to speak about this, right? Because often when we're an impact and we're launching our firms, uh, I think all of us have wish and objective that we want to achieve with our companies, right? We want to make a positive impact. We want to see global change. And I think your story is so important to speak about because the consequences or the implications for what you're building are so tremendous, I think can touch so many people's lives that it's very important to speak about the reasons to launch a business and the positive impacts and the network effects that can be created through having a focus on positive impact at the very beginning of launching your business. So can you tell us a bit about your own background and um, why you launched Kula and Tabitak? Yes. Um, so there's two things I grew up around. Uh, one is uh, entrepreneurs uh, from my father's father side. Um, I was just actually in another call discussing uh, their, uh, their company is about to be 25 years old. And I was like, wow, wow that's, a, that's a long time. So we, we actually grew up seeing uh, a success in terms of entrepreneurship. So there's one thing that really got me excited uh, as a young kid. And the other thing is savings groups. So savings groups are a group of people that sit down in a community or you know, within a family. And once a week or once a month, they sit down to do three things. One, save. Uh, save their uh, their money, money that they have available to uh, borrow from each other in case they have an emergency or they have something that they require funds to borrow. Uh, and three, repay for previous uh, loans considered by these groups. So we, I grew up with these two things. Far from knowing that one day I will be, I'll be one of the two, I'd rather loan both of them. So. I come from a background of computer science. I was recruited out of university for Vodacom. Managed to establish myself and become a manager of a team of 20 people by the age of uh, 22, 23. 
Uh, then a couple of years later, I uh, wanted to get a little bit more exposure on the commercial and business development side of things. Uh, you know, tech, tech people tend to be introverted, uh, unfortunately, and a commercial and business development exposure uh, uh, makes you become a little bit more, uh, more outspoken, more in touch with people and what they really require. So I uh, stayed with Impesa, I think a year only, and then decided to open my own company, uh, which is Tablet Tech. It's been around the market for five years. Uh, at the beginning, like everybody else, it's a baby, it's a company. You don't know wh which direction do you want to take, but we knew that we wanted to, do, to build products, not only develop software for other companies. Our mindset was always, we need to build and create sustainability within our own company, not just help our partners grow. Obviously, we do appreciate the opportunities that we have to help our partners grow because it's also a learning experience. Uh, it's a source of networking and so on and so forth. So they also help us grow. But we knew that we, we, we wanted to do something regarding digital product development, especially in emerging markets where uh, digitalization is still a challenge, right? Due to, to many reasons. Uh, so... Our first product, I think right after opening WTEC, was a product called Roskash, which we uh, decided to uh, manage, do bookkeeping for savings groups. Uh, I had a strong belief, and I can say that it's a belief because there, there's no numbers, uh, concrete numbers, about how many savings groups exist, especially in Mozambique. But I had a gut feel. And I do not advise everybody to open companies uh, uh, just from their gut feel. Uh, just That's so the feedback of an entrepreneur, the gut so, feeling to launch your company. So Professor ATN might might have <laughs> other, other things to say about he that. He may have something to say to us about that, but <laughs> about that. But but uh, you know, we I just had that gut feel. It was stronger than than me, and so we decided to invest bootstrapping. And going to these groups, uh, we realized that we could not reach those groups directly. It was going to be too expensive. The last mile in emerging market is still the most expensive part of, of doing business. So we start partnering with entities that already have these groups, have a bulk of these groups. So we did an MVP 2017, implemented by 2018. We focused on three pillars, do KYC of these members creating a governing structure for them to behave within the group, and three, monitor their transactions. Uh, so the third part was actually the one that got us more excited. Uh, obviously, knowing the members of these groups is important because, remember, you didn't have, we didn't have any data regarding who are the people inside these groups, where do they live, what do they do for a living, etc. So that was something interesting to us but also the transactions that allow us to contribute for financial inclusion. Because we talk about financial inclusion of the unbanked, but we, we might be creating another gap, which is the underbanked. So I know a lot of people that have bank accounts, people close to me, but they don't necessarily borrow from a bank, for example. So they only have a bank account to store their money. They don't know their savings products. They don't borrow from them. And we know that uh, storing money and ad adhering to a savings product and borrowing money from a bank, these are two of the most important pillars. Uh, payments only came later on, right? With the surge of technology, of checks before that, debit cards, etc. 
But the two main pillars were financial institutions is I'm wealthy. I want to store my money somewhere. Somebody needs to keep this money. And there's companies around the area and they do not have money. So I would borrow gold, right? So these are, were the two pillars. And if somebody from the community doesn't identify themselves or doesn't think that these two pillars that they need can be fulfilled by a financial institution, a formal financial institution, they meet up uh, groups of 25 to 30 people and create these groups. And they last for eight to 12 months. They close the groups, they spread their savings, and then they do it all over again the next year. So, so this is what we do with Roshkosh. Yeah, and I think it's so important to um, focus on the size of the underbanked and unbanked population, right? And the ability to provide services to these savings groups and other individuals and groups have really the potential to build a financial infrastructure um, that that can start to change the nature of private markets themselves, right? Um, and would you be able to explain a bit more, Jose, about your experience with the savings groups and how important it is to provide this service to the savings groups to be able to preserve their own wealth? Yeah, sure. Um, at the beginning, there's one thing that we, we take it for granted, which is the ability to learn as you go. I think the market expects us to right from the start know everything and you know have one silver bullet that heals every vampire in the movie but that that doesn't happen for you to achieve that the recipe uh, to kill that vampire that silver bullet you need to go through a lot of other steps of failure so same thing happened with us we understood that one the fact that you do not know these people it's an issue right they're right there, but you don't know their habits. So KYC, it's extremely important, not only for you to know and have that data to improve their lives, but also AML, anti-money laundering. You know, uh, that's a big thing now. So not knowing who they are, where they're located, I think it's a very big gap uh, for financial institutions because they're not able to customize their offer or to know what are the different segments that they need to go after um that was the first thing second thing within the group itself so the first thing is more of a structural financial sector the second thing was actually within the group you know there's a lot of rules that if you just put in paper uh, you don't have a way of enforcing those rules so let's just say i put a guard in front of us in front of a gate i say don't let aisha come in but one day he might be looking to the other side and then Aisha goes in. One day Aisha might convince him and Aisha goes in. But if I put an access control with your fingerprint, you cannot bribe that access control, right? Obviously you can hack it, but that's a different story in a different situation. But that access control will govern the rules of who gets in, when they get in, and it will be strict. And this is what you need uh, in order to govern a large amount of people. We're talking about groups between 25 to 30 people. So you need to make sure that they understand each other and they're being governed. So that's, that's the impact that we have at the group level. From a transaction standpoint, the help that we provide is, you know what, you need loans, but the loans that you get from the group might not be enough, Right. You might need a financial, a more stable and resilient and uh, liquidity 
uh, with a lot of liquidity financial institutions to meet your demands or, or your needs. So uh, we understood as we went along that the data that we were collecting regarding the transactions could be used for a financial institution to actually give loans to these people. Because ultimately, when they, when Aisha, uh, which I assume Aisha has a bank account, goes to a bank and asks for a loan, the first thing that they, that they look after is what is Aisha's behavior, right? Does she save here? Does she get, get paid in this, in this bank? Does she borrow? If she has borrowed, has borrowed, does she repay? How often does she repay? So all of that is taking into account for me to give you money. So imagine if somebody else is already doing all of that for you, ticking all the boxes. So you just need to look at that information, make sure that it's a it's credible source, and then it should be okay for you to borrow to a certain level, right? Obviously, there's no silver bullets. You There's no silver bullet for default as well. Default will always be there. But I think that that puts these underserved communities in a playing field with everybody else. So that was also a structural improvement that we wanted to make. So two were structural, KYC and transactions, and one was actually to improve the way these groups are governed. Right. Because that's what we're talking about is leveling playing field, right? Because when we're speaking about creating wealth and um, being able to reduce and possibly eliminate in the future the SDG financing gap, the very first thing that we have to do is what you were saying, Jose, is access to borrowing and funding the KYC, the AML, the playing field has to be leveled because all of a sudden, if um, if we have millions, probably tens of millions more people being able to access credit now, we can start to close the SDG financing gap, right? Now, now the playing field is widened and all of these services that create credit products and financial institution products can now go into this space and we can start to make real progress with the SDG financing gap. We have the SDG financing gap that continues to grow at 2.5 trillion, which is the capital that's not flowing to sustainable investments, right? So we clearly have a systemic issue. We have a foundational issue. And that's why I really believe the work that you're doing, Jose, is so important because it addresses the foundational systemic issues within the financial system. If there are tens of millions, probably hundreds of millions of people around the world who don't have access to capital markets, then how can we truly make a global impact and create global change on a massive scale, right? The the system, the current system that, that we have has to change, right? And, and kind of we see the limits now, right? We're in multiple crises around the world. This is the time to create the systemic change to build the foundational structure to level the playing field, right? And so I think that's what's so important. And so going back to Kula, have you seen the effects of the savings groups uh, when they're able to access or when when they're able to actually build a credit history? Um, so what, what have you seen in your experience with working with the savings groups and them being, being able to now uh, be on a level playing field to access these types of services. To, to explain that, I might have to give uh, maybe one or two steps back just to to try to explain how Kula comes about. 
So when when in our quest to level the playing field uh, for uh, members of these savings groups, we actually approached uh, financial institutions um, in order um, for them to start borrowing to 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 these groups. And it was that uh, that frustration of them saying no, we don't believe they, they will pay, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that got us to think that maybe within this value chain, it's not meant for the banks to go directly and borrow their money to the groups. We looked at other options, which is syndicate and make groups borrow them uh, each other. Right, so one group can look at the other group, uh, the other group has a require as a need, financial need, they can actually have extra, if they have extra liquidity, they can actually borrow, lend money to this group. But the issue in it's something that we're working on locally is you don't have a, a regulator looking at that, right? The majority of savings groups in emerging markets, regulators are not necessarily regulating anything or their, their, uh, uh, what their activity. So when you start syndicating, when you start coming up with these products, uh, you start putting these groups in, in, in a fragile uh, environment that if something goes wrong, who's accountable for that, right? Who puts the rules, who, who governs the rules, and how can you borrow from another group? Because remember, these savings groups were created based on trust. So they trust each other. So that's not a problem. When you find another group that they do not know, they will look at you as in, okay, do you trust them? And obviously, as a technology provider, we cannot observe all that responsibility. So having a regulator regulating that, he can remove that burden from us. So that was one of the things that we actually tried. So we tried that. We tried putting the banks directly in contact with the groups. Both uh, didn't work in our opinion. So we said, you know what, let's take action into our own hands. Uh, we do not have enough capital. So doing all of this, we're bootstrapping. We do not have enough capital to actually borrow to these groups, uh, at, not at the large scale. We have some, but not at the large scale. So let's create a digital lending marketplace. Uh, so we will do the work of vetting these groups, of packaging these groups, you know, using alternative credit scoring models and go and convince the banks or the financial institutions or capital providers to invest on these models, which is a little bit different than putting the bridge between a bank and a savings group and say, guys, understand each other, right? One is using something that we call Capulana, which is a, uh, it's very frequent in Africa uh, for ladies to wear. And one is wearing a thousand dollar suit. So by, just by that, you know, they're not going to speak the same language. So they need somebody there in between to actually build the bridge. We understand banks, we understand financial institutions, we clearly understand savings groups and their needs. So we are serving as the bridge and to create that bridge, we created Kula, right? A product that is meant for these groups and that uses the support of these financial institutions that have capital to invest uh, in this group. So this is how Kula actually comes about and how we believe that we could support uh, these groups with the help of financial institutions. I think that answers the question, right? Yeah, that is a great answer. <laughs> Thank you, Jose. And um, and it really sounds like it's a combination of speaking with the regulators and the financial institutions um, to be able to support. Right, that that's kind of the next next step because because they 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 have to be able to guarantee 
of the products that, that you're building. And as you've been speaking and having dialogues with the regulators and the financial institutions, are there any gaps that you see that need to be improved in terms of support for Kula or any other organization who wants to approach this challenge of being able to provide solutions uh, to savings groups, to, to the underbanked, what do you think needs to be improved in terms of dialogue? So, because this is quite common in the impact space, it's often uh, we're speaking with the regulators and the financial institutions um, because we all need to work together to really address the systemic challenges that we're facing and to create positive impact, to measure it, to verify it. Um, there are many different stakeholders that are in the conversation, but what do you find are the gaps that you've observed or what needs to be improved uh, to be able to scale, to be able to achieve the positive impact uh, that you want to achieve with Kula? I think one of the gaps is the, the, the hands-on knowledge that you can get if you're, you know, every day in that segment that sometimes regulators have. Obviously, it's not completely their fault. They're just not exposed, maybe. Uh, to that reality. So these groups are typically informal and they can be created like I'm in my office. I can create these groups with my colleague right now. And it's not something that the central bank will have access, right? And to know that, hey, you know, at, at, at Kula's head office, uh, there's a group being created, right? Uh, so, uh, so it's not entirely their fault. I think we also are building that bridge because when we uh, in, implement technology, they now have visibility, right? Where are these groups? Who are these people? Et cetera, et cetera. So I think the gap is more around the knowledge of the existence of these groups and the numbers. Uh, again, nobody knows how many exist in the country. Everybody's doing things in silo. So we, 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 we ha actually have another project that is, uh, we call it groups2popansa.org.mz, which will then we are pledging for, for all these institutions to, we are asking all these institutions to pledge their data, aggregated data, not in detail, to this website for everybody to have a, a common understanding of what is, what, what's happening within the savings group landscape. It's actually our, our way of creating uh, this bridge, of bridging this gap of knowledge. So the other thing uh, besides the gap of knowledge is the gap of it's also a gap of knowledge, but not knowledge in terms of who and how many people is actually the amount being transacted. So I remember I was in a conversation and somebody was asking if uh, a limit per year of uh, $500 would be sufficient to cap in terms of transaction for these groups uh, per year. We're talking about eight to 12 months worth of sessions and four sessions a month that's at least 40 in average at least 40 sessions uh, a year and i showed him a picture uh, and i'll share that picture with you that had a group of uh, you know six ladies that had in that session a thousand dollars right so clearly they're not they're not in the same uh, in the same they do not have that understanding of how much is being transacted so that's a second bridge that we also creating, the second gap that we also bridging, right? Which is the knowledge around the, the, the amount, the values that are being transacted. So 
I think majority of the cases, and this is a case for a regulator, but it's also a case of a financial institution. Uh, uh, when they, if they don't know these numbers, they will not risk it, right? Financial institutions will not risk and, and invest there. Uh, and we are trying to bridge that gap. So we believe that if we, you know, shine the light of the me- on the members, on the groups, their volumes, and on the transactions that they're able to move, you will see a shift in, you know, where do bank open bank branches? So that's the kind of shift that we want to see. You know, you wouldn't open a bank branch in place X, Y, or Z because you're seeing a lady that looks poor, right? But now that you have the numbers, you might say, hey, there's a business case for me to open a branch there. So that's one thing that we, we, we want to contribute. The second one is for regulators to come in, having that knowledge, make a decision based on information, right? Because if at some point they make a decision and they do not understand what does that decision imply, like the $500 gap, uh, uh, cap, uh, it, it might just go against the principle of these groups which is to still uh, give opportunity for prosperity. Like I said, I grew up around savings group. Imagine if somebody would have kept the transactions within that group for $500. I wouldn't have gone to school. So it's that, it's that link. It's that those details that are very important for them to know so they can actually put governing rules that actually make sense within the context of these groups. Yeah, and it's, it's really understanding the context around the product that's being created that's on the ground it's it may be outside of the knowledge of the financial institutions and the regulators um but but that's where the data has to be collected and kind of it takes me back to the classic uh, challenge of sustainable and impact investing in particular in the global south um, uh, where we have gaps in data Without data, it's hard to move capital. It's very, very difficult to drive capital towards sustainable and impact investments. Uh, like you were saying about the financial institutions, um, uh, they aren't going to open any branches or create financial products if they don't have the data to justify it, right? Um, and the same from the investment side. So I think it's very important when we're addressing systemic challenges to also really address data gaps, right? Um, And what I find really interesting is that you have a project just to gather data. Um, It's similar to what we're working on for blockchain for impact to be able to verify impact through blockchain to measure it, to verify it because it goes back to data, right? We, we, We have to be able to identify company impact through data, but we have to build the models on our own, right? Because it's because such a large gap of data that um, if you really want to address systemic challenges, there, there are so many found, uh, foundational aspects to it uh, that are directly linked to data. And I think that would be very interesting to then gather the data and to share it with the regulators and the financial institutions, right? So then it's a data funnel, um, that can really start to build the infrastructure that is needed, right? Because if it can't be measured and it can't be verified, then um, then we continue to have the sustainability financing gap that I spoke about before. And so 
for the future of Krilla, where do you see it heading or expanding? And what do you see is the role of venture capital and private equity here as well? The sustainable investors, the impact investors, right? So we spoke about the financial institutions and the regulators, but PE and VC also have a very large role. They, they have to take a larger role here, right? There's a responsibility um, to invest with the intention of creating positive impact with your investments, right? So where do you see the role of venture capital and private equity in scaling Kula and other projects that want to really find solutions for the underbanked and the unbanked populations? I, I, I would start from, you know, just giving a step back to what you were saying, which is, you know, data has become, obviously it's become the hype of the moment. Um, but the way I look at data, I look at data as infrastructure. I look at data like electricity. I look at data like a road, right? So if you don't have a road, you cannot collect goods and transfer from one place to another, right? So that's very foundational to a certain extent that people will just give you money, not even borrow, just give you money to build that infrastructure for us to be able to create wealth, right? Uh, exactly. On top of that infrastructure. And data but is wealth, you, yeah, so, so it, but uh, before, especially when you're in this area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but before that, data is infrastructure, right? So uh, before I can create wealth based on data, I need, so Mike, in, in our case, before we can create wealth because of this data, we need this data to show that there's wealth to be created. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think the, the most important thing at this point is for us to just, you know, close our, 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 our eyes and invest heavily in this infrastructure and gathering data that will make a VC firm in, you know, in UK believe that, you know, there's wealth to be generated in Musimba da Praia, for example. They, they, they need to know that it's there. But how can you skip uh, these steps and go straight into wealth before you're building the infrastructure, before building the infrastructure? Because remember, he doesn't know. There isn't any data anywhere. So what we did is, in fact, to say, and with this website uh, that we're creating, with this portal that we're creating, in partnership with uh, FSD, and we're trying to get a partnership with the central bank as well, is to uh, basically create this infrastructure. Obviously, again, we're doing this while bootstrapping, uh, 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 but we're trying to create this infrastructure that allows us to pull all these, uh, uh, you know, VC, you know, corporate venture capital uh, uh, firms, for example, to come and say, hey, you see this infrastructure, invest a little bit more, let's build a, a stronger and resilient infrastructure, so then we can start collecting the level of data that will be used to generate wealth. Because the data that we're collecting are very simple, right? They can be used as, uh, as foundational, but probably to generate a significant amount of wealth, you need an extra layer of data for you to build micro uh, insurance products, for you to build all sorts of products that fintechs now can help build. Uh, uh, so that's something that that I think that, you know, VC firms and, and 
and, and you know, not even VC firms, but also we try to bring together donors, right? Because donors are, are more willing to actually invest in this infrastructural data more than any other, uh, uh, any other stakeholder. Right. And I, I think you brought up a very good point about the willingness to invest, right? I think there's a lot on the investment side in terms of the investment process, investment strategies, incorporating impact into the investment strategy, measuring and verifying it, the uh, recognizing the importance of investing in infrastructure, like you were saying, Jose, um, that that also goes into driving capital, right? And and it takes these kinds of conversations to be able to amplify the importance of if we really want to create sustainable change throughout the world, the very first thing we have to do, like you were saying, is invest in infrastructure. We, we have to start at, at the foundation um, because the crisis that we see today in terms of food scarcity, the unbanked populations, um, the effects of climate change, which mostly affect the global South, right? All of those stem from a lack of investment in key areas, right? And the question is, how do we change the narrative around investing? What what does it mean to invest? Um, What are the intentionalities, especially when we're speaking about sustainable and impact investing, but all VCs and PE and all investors should be impact investors. They should be thinking about creating positive impact with their investments. They they should be very intentional about where their capital is being invested and for what reason. And it may be that we have to extend the time horizon because we are speaking about investing in infrastructure, but maybe that's what's needed, right? When when we when we start to change the narrative around what it what it really means to create sustainable change, right? And so I I I think for me that's that's what's so inspiring about your work because it's the infrastructure that is needed. It's the realization um, that to create real wealth and to close the SDG financing gap, the first thing that we have to do is level the playing field. We have to Mm -hmm. build infrastructure to be able to then start to drive capital, right? Um, Start to really change the narratives around what it, what it means to invest and what it means to drive capital. Right. And and so this is very inspirational to me. And, And I, I, and I do think that you're you're at the forefront of what is needed to create the systemic change uh, that that we need uh, to to be able to build a more sustainable future. And you ask a, a very a very good question. Is one of the things that you ask is where do we see Kula in terms of growth? Uh, so linking that to capital, obviously, it's easier. Kula represents an easier value proposition for investors to back up and put their money, you know, behind Kula, because that's something that will generate wealth uh, medium term, right? Uh, So you were talking about the time it takes to actually, so we should be looking at, you know, uh, should we really focus on five to seven years exits, for example? Should we on ESG funds look at a little bit, a longer horizon? And this is why we, we put together Roshkaji and Kula in the same basket, because one creates infrastructure, right? And the other one is trying to generate wealth. 
but we're very adamant in, to, in putting these two together and not separating them because we understand that without a solid structure, you cannot sustainably generate wealth. You need a proper structure or you will generate a structure, a wealth for maybe your investors. But what is the impact? Because, you know, at least from our side, everything that we do needs to be double bottom line. And we don't just look at profit. You know, how much, how much of an impact are you creating, right? Uh, you know, because that's ultimately, even though you can exit uh, between five to seven years, you need to live a legacy. Uh, within that that time span as well on the communities. That's very important. That's how they, you you actually empower people to get out of poverty. We believe that, and we show there's a lot of investment firms that show interest on investing in Kula, and they're very interested on Roshkish as well. But what I try to explain is, okay, guys, because uh, we are building this infrastructure that you know, it's just going to help. Even if you don't have money to borrow yourself, somebody will be able to come and just look and say, hey, I'm willing to take that risk. But because I'm a little bit stubborn, when people tell me, no, I, I, I'd rather do it myself rather than give up. That's why we created Kula to say, you know what, fine, you don't want to take that risk. Let me show and let me help these groups and let me show that this can generate wealth, right? And then, then, if I tell you that we need capital to uh, to build a bigger or a more solid infrastructure because that is just going to increase the pie, maybe people will take you a little bit more seriously, right? So that's our mindset. That's our focus every day in terms of growth. It's actually sustainable growth. Right. Yeah. And because you bootstrapped, right? And I and I and I think it's so important to have the sustainable growth. Uh, when you're focused on positive impact, because there's so many infrastructure and systemic uh, challenges that have to be addressed, right? And so um, growing sustainably and being able to address those challenges while they're still small um, is better, right? It may extend the time horizon of that investment. But then again, if we're focused on positive impact, that's what's needed, right? Because it's the foundation that has to be built, right? And so I think any investor coming into this space has to recognize that and then also the, the growth that can come from the foundation being built, the data, the, the different uh, funnels that have to be created between the financial institutions and the regulators. And once that foundation is built, the expansion, the liquidity expansion into private markets, especially in the global south, I think it's going to be um, the next really large events in finance. Um, I'm very excited about this period of finance because I think that the opportunity for literally millions of people around the world to access capital markets, to, to have access to credit products, to be able to build wealth and we are we are part of building that foundation and 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 that's what's so exciting right and so the next 10 20 years the landscape uh especially in private markets is going to look very very different and uh, there are going to be millions around the world who are able to build wealth um that has not existed before and it's and it's and it's due to to the foundation that you're building with 
Kula. So um, it's so inspiring for me to have this conversation because we were both building our firms at the same time in our degree, right? And so, and here we are. We're really um, kind of staying on course and staying on path. And and it's amazing to see that it's the systemic challenges that we're really starting to build. And once the foundation is set, I really do believe that wealth building and credit and and just access to the capital markets are going to transform the private markets landscape. Mm -hmm. And we're going to start to close the SDG financing gap, but it's going to come from the private sector. It's, it's, It's going to come from all of us coming together and speaking about what has to be done. What are the real solutions that we have to find in terms of dialogues and conversations to start to close the SDG financing gap to drive real capital uh, that has real results? Well, I think, you know, the capital market will not have a choice, does not have a choice at this point, right? Uh, The other side is doing very badly. (laughs) And the money is there, right? You have to make a decision. Well, the money is always there, right? So so you need to to invest. So our job is to move the money towards sustainable. Exactly. Exactly. So um, you need need to put money somewhere. Uh, So, yeah, that's what's interesting is because if one side is not doing so well, you need to shift to another side. What makes investing in alternatives and impact investing in the global south such an exciting future, right? Because this is where the growth is. Uh, we, we can say, see, today, <laughs> the equity markets are not doing so well. But the future, I believe the future of impact finance is in the private markets, it's in emerging markets, it's in the global south, but there is infrastructure that has to be built. But mm-hmm. the future, the growth that lies ahead, and to be able to create positive impact for hundreds of millions of people, it's mm-hmm. it's tremendous. I think that we're at such an important point in finance. Uh, probably we see this every hundred years, right? That that the system is start has has to change, right? There's no way that we can continue on the path that we're on today. It's unsustainable. We see the markets. Uh, we we see the high amounts of inflation. There's obviously a deep systemic issue, but then on the other hand, we have the unbanked populations. We we have. A whole landscape and private markets that are untouched and there are solutions that can be built in their people's lives that can be positively affected if we just start to drive capital if we if we integrate purpose and impact into the investment process not not only for a sustainable and impact investment for the investment industry right we shouldn't even have categories for a sustainable investing right it should be integrated into the investment process and when that happens then we will start to see very large change. Right, right. And so, and but, but that comes from dialogues. It comes from the conversations like we're having today. Yeah. And so, and, and, and that's exciting. We're, we're right, we're, we're right here on, on the forefront that I believe is the biggest shift in finance, probably in the last yeah. century. It's, it's, it's right here. Right. And, and, and I believe our job is to build the infrastructure, to build the conversations that that really focus on real impact, who is being positively affected, and what is the infrastructure that we have to build around it so that we can 
bring groups into wealth building, right? And we can close the SDG financing gap that has only increased. Um, and that that seems to be increasing every year and has, uh, and there's a systemic issue there that has to be addressed and you're doing it. It's great to see. And I'm really looking forward to speaking more about Kula and seeing your progress. And I plan on making a trip also <laughs> to visit our own portfolio companies and, and to see how Kula is doing. And so um, I'm very excited about um, the, the growth of this sector. It is the future and to be able to touch people's lives in this way, it's, it's very inspirational. So thank you, Jose, for being on our podcast. And thank you for having me. Thanks for having me. We, we can only do uh, we can only create impact where we actually can influence, right? So uh, what we try to do is, you know, touch as many lives and create impact where we actually have the control to do so. Uh, I know technology, so I can build technology, but I know how also, also how to build sustainable business models. Thank to HEC, of course, as well. So, so that allows me to touch lives in a way that, you know, they could not do it themselves, right? But obviously, it's not a, it's not work that I can achieve. Uh, I, I can actually, I'm looking for the right word. I cannot be successful. And my success comes from empowering these groups. I cannot be successful if uh, uh, the other part uh, doesn't do uh, uh, their job as well, uh, which is your part as well. Uh, that's why I think it makes absolute sense for us to have this this conversation because it means it triggers a signal that uh, uh, impact invest exists. Uh, 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 we need to shine the light more on entrepreneurs uh, uh, like myself. They are doing both social and profit, uh, so that we can build the right rails for everybody to generate wealth. So there's a lot of wealth to be generated in the world. We just need to build the rails, right? So right. we were 100% dependent on fossil, fossil fuels. Uh, you know, it's not more than 20 years. And now, you know, we talk about just driving electric, right? Mm -hmm. Clean energy. Uh, and, and, and the reason why that happened is because, you know, some people, you know, just took it to themselves to actually build these rails, right? So, uh, so some of these electric manufacturers are opening charging stations and not charging. What is that? That building infrastructure. That's to say, okay, guys, this is the way forward. But if I start charging right now, everybody will say, no, we'd rather go back to, to fossil fuels. But okay, sure, let's build the infrastructure. This is for free. Some countries are doing an amazing job with the write-offs in terms of taxes for carbon neutrality. So this, you know, people are, are, are building or are supporting the build of all these rails. So one thing that we can do is to show the other rail that needs to be built in emerging markets and to try to get, you know, the government involved regulators in this case, you know, the financial institution, the capital markets, everybody to say, you know what? We have a possibility to generate wealth there, but we need to build these rails, you know, and definitely it's not going to be from a group of, of, of co-founders bootstrapping their way into building those rails. So, yeah. And it, and it takes the dialogues with investors. I believe our role as investors is to support entrepreneurs like yourself 
to be able to amplify your voice and focus on driving capital towards you, right? Because because that's our job. Our our job is to drive capital. Our job is to make sure that our investment strategies and the investment process are optimized for sustainable and impact investing, right? And so building those rails, right, are very important between investors and entrepreneurs. And that's what I'm focused on here at ImpactVest is to be able to say there's there's a different way of investing. We need to not only have the dialogues with entrepreneurs, we need to integrate it into the entire investment process because this, this is the purpose. At the end of the day, as investors, we want to be able to create positive impact through our investments. But we need entrepreneurs to do this, right? We need dialogues with entrepreneurs. We need to be able to support your vision and and where you see your company scaling. And these are the rails that all have to be built. And I really believe if we build these rails between investors, between the regulators, the SDG financing gap is going to start to close, right? But there are silos at the moment, right? And those silos have to start to come together and start to have conversations beyond metrics, beyond numbers. We have to be able to measure and verify impact, but we also have to know the vision for for companies and and what can be achieved and what is the real situation on the ground, right? And how does that correspond to the investor's vision for how they want to invest? I think there are many different dialogues that have to happen um, to be able to address uh, the lack of financing in these areas and how as investors do we have to change our investment processes to be able to drive real sustainable capital? I am sure we're going to have many more conversations about, uh, I'm, I am sure I, I am going to speak to you when there's an IPO in Kula. <laughs> we'll have our next podcast, no, we'll, but it's, but it's but I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about all that you're working on. Just people's lives that you're reaching and, um, and, and really leveling the playing field. And, and what, what we're speaking about also is a long-term process, right? It may take five, 10, 20 years, but someone has to build the foundation, right? Someone has to say, this is the systemic challenge and we're going to work towards this. And we recognize that, that it's a long process. Yeah, no, you know, investors, when they look at entrepreneurs, they're looking for, you know, the bright minds, the ones that can think outside of the box, right? Ultimately, is that, you know, you sit with an investor, he's looking when he's asking you, you know, his five or a hundred questions, depending on who it is. Uh, he's ultimately looking for what is this guy's edge or what is this lady's edge uh, that might make me invest in her or in him rather than the other guy. So we have to be outside of the box, not only think outside of the box, but be outside of the box. But the entire environment uh, that these investors are in, it's a box, right? Uh, How can you invest in something outside of the box sustainably if you're within a box? So therefore, one of the two needs to happen. Or you need to get out of the box, or you need to put that entrepreneur inside a box, which you don't want to do because it defeats the purpose, right? Uh, to have somebody that has an edge, they can perform outside of the box. You know, you look at somebody so unorthodox, like for example, Elon Musk. 
uh, everybody that backs Elon Musk, they know what they're backing, right? They're not backing somebody inside of the box. And that's the same thing with Jeff Bezos. That's the same thing. And we can name, you know, Steve Jobs. That's the same thing with every successful entrepreneur, true successful entrepreneur, is they're not going to be uh, boxed in. They will be outside of the box. And if you really want to make an impact in the world, being climate, being financial inclusion, you know, being, uh, you know, food, in food, you need as an investor to get yourself outside of that box. You know, just remove yourself from all of these other funds and say, okay, guys, you're giving me the money to invest. But if we want to build something truly, you know, something with meaning, we need to do this from outside of the box. Otherwise, we're just investing on another digital lending platform. There's many, right? A lot of people, we sit down and ask, what's the difference between you and the other guy? You know, if, if, <laughs> uh, if we're starting the conversation like that, you're already putting me in a box. It means that you didn't understand where cooler comes from, right? Mm -hmm. What are we trying to build towards generating wealth for these people? Remember that these people are being considered sometimes poor. They're not poor. You just cannot see their money because they're not in the system. So because the money is not in the system, you assume that they do not have money, right? So it takes an investor with guts. That's why sometimes angels and family offices are the ones that gamble in these, uh, or firms where you have uh, experienced and seasoned uh, uh, CEOs that can say to, to, to whoever gives them funds that, hey, we will bet on this guy. Because he's either going to turn this into a, a, a multi-billion dollar, a trillion dollar company, or he's going to fail, which is okay as well. Uh, we need to be okay. It's a 50-50% chance, but we need to be okay. We can't just be looking for, oh, in five years, in seven years, will we make 10x? Yes, that's all it matters, writing a check. Uh, so I don't think when you go and invest in Elon Musk, for example, you're thinking that way. Clearly, the investors investing in him, investing in Jeff Bezos, they're clearly outside of the box. Uh, so I think that's, that would be my message to whoever wants to be in that space and wants to look at entrepreneurs that really want to make an impact. It's not just because a lot of things, you know, when you build a proposition such as Cooler, if you just build the lending proposition, that's data that is available everywhere. You know, the World Bank does a very good job. The IFC, they do a very good job, CGAP, on you know, researching in every country and generating this data. So ultimately, what's happening is that, you know, I come in, I look at that data, structure a pitch deck, and then I give you a pitch and I say, oh, well, oh, 10X, by year seven, done. But we're seeing what's happening. You know, there's a lot of people borrowing money to the wrong people, a lot of default rates, uh, you know, a lot of customers unhappy. You know, there's a lot of things that you can see that, you know, this is just box thinking. You know, these guys are not spending time with the customers. They're not spending time with the communities and really in, uh, understanding the impact, right? Uh, we had a perception because we were doing savings groups, uh, uh, you know, around larger cities and inside cities. When we went deep in rural, we also had that perception. Ah, oh, there's no money there. But, you know, we have to go and see it. If there isn't, we will then see it. There is not. But we got there, you know, seeing six ladies that could not even have slippers on their feet with $1,000 in cash. That, that just takes your breath away and makes you look like a fool. 
and 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 makes you think a little bit more around how do you structure uh you know your propositions and who's the kind of investor that you want to back you uh, uh in order to to achieve you know wealth for them for these communities but also while building these rails so you can also live a more sustainable environment because when you exit you don't know what's going to happen but those rails that you left that gap that you help bridge that will stay there forever this is such an important message for vc um, and pe that are interested in investing in this sector there's there's a lot of innovation in terms of investment strategy and the investment process that still has to happen and the investment industry to be able to integrate impact and sustainability within the process itself and from the investor side i i often say it's my experience in the foreign service that really informs me as an investor and being able to relate the on the ground experience to the investment process because there's some things that you can't quantify right there's some things that require the gut feeling and that comes from experience and it comes from being on the ground right and that's what has to happen within the investment industry it's more about the on the ground experience what you can't quantify through metrics uh, that you can only get through really speaking to entrepreneurs having the on the ground experience and being being able to know the sectors and the countries so well that you know that your gut feeling is the right one right and it's then you can go into measuring and verifying impact but there are substantial changes i think that has to happen to the investment industry like you said Jose to be more outside of the box right to recognize that not every company and entrepreneur is going to fit in a square box um that most of the really incredible entrepreneurs are outside of the box but that 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 means that the investor also has to be out outside of the box right and so um and and that's where we are we want to back really innovative entrepreneurs through us being innovative investors right and so and so that's where the change happens and this is where it starts in conversations like ours so it is going to be onwards and upwards <laughs> and and uh, this is just the beginning i think that as we start to build the infrastructure and investors come in and support entrepreneurs like yourself to build it the transformation in private markets is going to be something um that we have not seen i think in the history of financial markets and it's right at this point that that, that there's the possibility for really exponential positive impact it's right now we're right at the beginning that investors can use their capital in a way that they can generate positive impact almost automatically right now right so that is great well i will be looking forward to your progress and we are going to have another episode i am sure and um so it's really been a pleasure Jose and thank you for joining My us My pleasure Thank you Aisha. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Impact Best podcast, transformative global innovation in a new era of impact. Join us next week for another episode and become part of our Impact Best newsletter community, where you will receive all of the latest updates about our work in this new era of innovative impact finance. See you next week as we create the future of finance at Impact Best.